You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Listening to the Land and Legacy podcast with your host Matt Die and Adam Keith. You make it up for last week. I had to say that. I had to make. Yep, exactly. You got all all upset and and uh, bottom lip was hanging out too. You were were all mad because you felt like I'd cut you out. So that one was for you. You did. Everyone everyone heard it, Adam. You can't deny it. Yeah, they heard they heard Matt get upset. So I just made up for it. Huge, uh, huge props to me on that. And you know, it's been, a, it's been a week. It's been a week of just frustration, but I, it's finally turned around. Today, I'm I'm all better. Yeah, in this instant, like that, all better, for sure. Well, I'm I'm glad. Started yeah. this podcast yeah. off on a the right in foot, the right foot, headed right in the direction. right direction. Man, it's gonna be a good one. So, it was one busy week for us ooh, this past week. Ooh, ooh, ooh. It was a fun week. We oh, had a lot a of fun. Yeah. Um, and you know it was just for for me it was a good refresher and it was a good uh mm-hmm. a good time spent talking deer and the event we were at was the QDMA National Convention DeerCon 17 yeah for the hashtag people out there yeah and it was in New Orleans so first time trip to Louisiana for me and a first time at the QDMA National Convention and i must say it was probably one of my favorite national conventions um, mm-hmm. Out of all the different conservation and other groups that I've been to, their national convention, that being the NWTF and other DU banquets, the QDMA national convention was a blast for a lot of reasons. And I think, uh, honestly, I encourage everybody to start, if they're not already a QDMA member, to kind of start looking into it and become a member. If if they are a, a deer hunter, I think QDMA's new hashtag that they've been going around is where deer hunters belong and that is 100 percent true you know think about all the great conversations we had from just talking deer stories all the way down to habitat questions and habitat projects people had going on overall it was a it was a super fun weekend you, you know if and this was my first uh convention as well uh regrettably because it was that that good of a time um but even though it was my first one it had that family reunion feel to it um that everyone just kind of like picked up where you left off and even though you didn't even know the people um just very like-minded hunters like-minded managers who all respect deer respect hunting and you can imagine from there just quality conversations and uh just you know you know you know you're you're gonna catch up with those people down the road and talk deer again yeah at some point all around is a great time um, great convention, a lot of great speaking engagements and, and speakers there. And then on top of that, 
you had the uh, Louisiana Expo, the hunting expo, right down the road and, and shuttled you back and forth to that. So if you were uh, tired of listening to people, yeah, I can go buy some stuff, hunting gear and whatnot, but it was a great time. And we'll, we will definitely be back, I know, And, and if year. you're upset, you're hearing us talk about it, and you've kind of seen the stuff on social media, and you're upset you missed out, don't fret about it because we're going to be right back there again next year. So yes, you can join us there again in 2018. And actually the same weekend, too. This past weekend, next year, if that makes sense. Those, those dates, anyhow, wherever that fell, I can't even remember. But, yeah, no, we're going to be back, and I'm already looking forward to it. It's going to be a good old time. And, and there was some, you know, you touched on it. There was some talks, and that's a huge part of our podcast today, is very awesome. I mean, oh, oh, but right, real quick, before we dive in, it was the Cutie May event was a good reminder as we talked to people, and, and and they were obviously familiar with Land Legacy, which is awesome, but and it's, I'm not in any way bragging or anything like that but i was very appreciative of the fact of how many people came up and said hey been listening to the podcast you know you guys have been doing a great job keep it up really enjoy the content and and the podcast been been fun listening to and following along and um we just need to to thank everyone who does listen so thank you um each and every week those people who are listening and giving us feedback uh it's just it's really encouraging very very encouraging What's even more encouraging is when they leave a review. Oh, on <laughs> iTunes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, if you haven't left a review, we are we are going to – we'll get down on our knees. No, I'm kidding. But leave a review, if, if you will, there on iTunes. Just let us know how we're doing and um, let us know what you think, some suggestions. Leave some five stars, if you will, and um, that helps us um, – to kind of climb the ranks and, and get more views and, and get this information out there to other people who are interested. So, again, the event was good, but let's go on about uh, the speakers. Okay. Are you sure you don't want to get down on your knees and keep begging a little more? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in my chair. Okay. Well, anyway, um, it was an awesome event, and uh, and everybody that came up to us, very encouraging. Appreciate everybody that's out there listening, and hopefully you share it with your hunting buddies and your fellow Habitat guys, and and uh, you guys are the reason we're doing it. So anyway, so as I was interrupted about five minutes ago, um, there were some conversations, some seminars during this whole event that were almost, uh, they are groundbreaking. There's something nobody's been talking about and how long have we been deer hunting for a long time. And this is new research that came out of um, Dr. Craig Harper, University of Tennessee. It was a big research. Uh, actually, you know what? The Part of his research, well, it went all across the country, basically anywhere there's white-tailed deer and poor soils. And part of his research actually came from my family farm and just groundbreaking. And I applaud him and everybody that was involved in that research um, because what we're going to talk about is pretty cool stuff and it's very motivating to the guys in poor soils um, you got anything else you want to add before yeah, we start no, going I, into that stuff I think no, that one it, thing I want to say is for people that are kind of on the fence of QDMA and you're kind of wondering about the direction I will I will mm -hmm. very much Thank encourage you, you to look into the direction and, and the and the focus of QDMA and I think even for me, when I was younger, there was I kind of had this conception that misconception that um, QDMA was about passing young bucks and uh, and focused on killing mature deer and big deer. 
And that is not the case at all. It's all about the habitat, the conservation, and herd health. So whatever and, your and goals hunting, are, if you want to heritage and hunting heritage, if you want to shoot a forky horn, go shoot a forky horn and be happy. Nobody at QMA is going to be upset with you. Like it's no. just a it's a it's a place for deer hunters, and it was very encouraging to see that that kind of mission statement unveil and uh, or I guess talked continue talked about. And you know, Matt and I came home and we're like, you know, where's the QMA branch around us? Mm-hmm. And there really isn't one. And so we kind of toyed the idea, why don't we just start a branch? They're not that hard to do. And uh, we did a little more research, and thankfully, actually, there's a, another a branch forming right here in Springfield, Missouri, um, that we're going to help, uh, we're going to be very active in and, and be involved with. And if you're in an area where um, there's no QDMA branch and you're really involved in habitat management and Deer hunting in deer general. Deer hunting in general, and you're like, oh, I wish there was a branch. Well, that's your sign. It's time for you to start a branch. Yep. yep. Start a branch, get all your buddies involved, and I think it would be a great time for you. And it would definitely, uh, maybe a few of your neighbors get involved, and you start understanding, you talking, and you guys can get on the same page for whatever your goals are. And, uh, yeah, I think it would be a, a great opportunity for you. So I encourage sure. you to dive into the QDMA website and start looking around and and join if you haven't joined already and start thinking about finding a branch near you or starting up a branch or even a co-op there's all kinds of stuff just uh we're encouraging you to get more involved in deer habitat and overall wildlife habitat so for sure for sure no that's a that's a great um great time and great word to be able to share with people because it's pretty powerful when you see everyone from across the country deer hunters um kind of come together like that at a convention just know the power of of um, hunting and how you know young kids are getting introduced to it as well and uh, that's just awesome to to be able to see their success and 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 talk talk with them and share um so sharing is another thing that these conventions are really good for so adam talked about that that study that was done and and as new research comes out as hunters and, and habitat managers who are looking for either that advantage or just to improve the overall habitat um and and leave a legacy we've got to be able to share the the most current information that's going to help us all out and like you touched on dr Greg harper and his team shared a great great presentation um that sheds a lot of light on the impact of soil quality on deer quality and and specifically talking about um native plant species and we're going to dive into that um, throughout this podcast, and, and again, it's it's very, very good information and should, no matter where you're at, no matter what your quality of soil is, this is the information that you're going to sit back and say, I can grow big deer. I can do it, and we're going to walk you through why and how to do so in today's podcast. Adam, you here? I'm you're, cr- you're cruising yeah. Facebook, aren't you? No, I'm not. I just had a. I'll, I'll take a shout out to Samuel Evans. Oh yeah, been yeah. A con- and he's been commenting on some stuff, but him and I have had some great conversations lately about habitat and and actually uh, following up the QDMA convention. We've talked about the the uh, seminar that Dr. Craig Harper gave, and so he just followed up with a big long message, and I was reading it. <laughs> I have ADHD, so. Yeah. Don't All let me along. get long winded because Adam's gonna when check the, out of this conversation. Yeah. When the phone <laughs> when the phone light goes green, I'm like, oh, Matt's talking. He's he's probably got he's several rambling. minutes in this. 
So, anyway, do you want to kick off the uh, whatever our next topic is? Yeah, well, pre- let's just dive into the to the actual study and, and um, get into the the meat of it. So, Doctor Harper was talking about. Um, basically the different land use types across the country. And, you know, generally we see those in correlation um, with soil fertility and soil health um, and basically just the, the difference um, in what soil can produce, whether that's a short-term crop like, you know, soybeans, corn, this and that, versus a long-term crop, forestry. So you have two different land uses, agricultural and forestry, and how Typically, what we see are really, really great deer um, come from those ag areas. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk throughout the years of, of how the healthiest soil, um, that's where the only, the, the, you know, the biggest bucks are, are being produced and, and so on and so forth. Well, this, this really kind of debunks that myth and proves that big deer can be grown in, in those areas that are predominantly used for forestry and to me I think, I think you know when you're when you're whatever you're 12 you're you're in my shoes where i was at at 12 years old and you start looking around and you're trust like, me you don't want to be there you're you're seeing giant deer <laughs> killed um all around in crop country and you're in the timber and you're like hmm i, just I wish i wasn't there. in timber country anymore it must be the crops and then you start seeing other people say crops and food plots are what you know, what it takes to grow a big deer and a whole big deer. And you kind of right. almost get like this. A little discouraged? Yeah, very much. Not little, but a lot. But <laughs> you're uh, almost like, okay, well, I guess I'll accept that I'm never going to have that. It, it's kind of like you, you set a bar. Like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in timber country and this 130 is a great deer. You know, this is as good as I can get here. Mm-hmm. And you know, don't get me wrong. A one hundred thirty inch deer is a great deer, um, but you know, it doesn't have to be like that. Mm-mm. And that's what this research basically proves: is uh, if manage management is done correctly, you can have great deer. And I can't even. I mean, to sum that up, I, as I as I watched the video, we were traveling Friday. We weren't traveling Friday, were we? We were just. Uh, yeah, we were traveling Thursday when the Thursday. speech was going on, That's so we right. didn't catch That's it. Right. Thursday, so we had to watch it a couple of days later on QDMA's Facebook page, which is where you can watch it. And that'll be want. that'll be in in our um, blog that um, that we produce for the for the website. So if you need to check that out, you can go ahead and check that. Uh, that link will be included in that blog on the website. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to sum it up, I just say slow clap. That's how that's how <laughs> awesome it is because. Um, I grew up very rough country, and food plots make up less than 5%, and they're always going to make up less than 5% of the property. And it was kind of that, well, you're almost like everybody else is in the majors, and you're down in Little League, and you just... You can be hitting dingers every game, but it's not the it's not the same. <laughs> you're not getting the attention. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like you're hitting dingers, which is the best you can do in that game, but you're not even getting attention yeah. because yeah. you're in the little league program and they're in the majors. Right. But this <laughs> this uh, this research is is groundbreaking and and it's so interesting and so motivating. Oh, for I think sure. it motivates sure. and it kind of ties in. With everything we've talked about in past videos we've shared and pretty much 
the soil health. We talked on soil health with this. Uh-huh. We talked on the Sela video, Sela hamburger. Managing, managing a lot of farms for um, native browse. Like that's yeah. a big part of what we do. And, and this only just yeah. kind of puts the punch on it. Like this is why right here. This is why you have to manage for these um, plant communities. And it, it, it's really encouraging to know that we have a lot of people, a lot of clients that are on the right track to, to be doing that in areas that you wouldn't think could produce enormous deer and they're, they're doing it and they're doing it well. Um, so that, that's, that's really encouraging. Yeah. So I think as, as we're diving in, you know, when we talk about native forage, it's, it's kind of broken down into pretty much four different kind of categories. We're talking about forbs, brambles, shrubs, and trees. And when it comes to value of protein levels, nutritional levels, that's kind of the, the order in ranking. Forbes provides the most, then it kind of goes down as you go into brambles like a blackberry or a greenbrier, then your shrubs and trees produce um, or have less and less nutrition. Um, but so when you when we're when you hear us say native forage, those are the type of things that we're talking about uh, when we're going to say native forage through this podcast. So I just remember when they were there, one of his grad students was at my farm collecting this yeah. stuff. So they're yeah. basically selecting forage, and they're selecting the. Uh, if you watch a video, you know you'll understand. But in in very simple terms, they're selecting the new young tender stuff that's grown mm-hmm. on the plant, and what a deer would eat. What a deer would eat. So the bottom big yellow leaves or the big waxy leaves on the bottom of the plant, they're not selecting those. They're taking the young stuff off the top. So there was some of the species they were collecting was was ragweed, mm-hmm. uh, pokeberry. Um, red maple, which mm-hmm. I was like, what in the world are you doing here? I didn't know why they were selecting that, but red maple, uh, catbriar, mm-hmm. uh, greenbriar, green smilac, whatever you want to call it. Um, were they sumac? Did they grab that? Yeah, Smooth I think sumac? so. Smooth sumac. Yep. Um, some uh, uh, prickly lettuce. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what else, but that that kind of the gist of it. Yeah. And uh, so they're selecting those and then testing and see how much nutrition and uh, crude protein and everything's in that so and taking soil samples right there at, at each location as well um for those plants so and, and i remember one thing they they started pulling a map the soil map yeah um, i think from the i forget where he said usda 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 i think something like that and basically showing the product productivity uh of the soils in that area and my farm was all it was two colors which were some of the worst so it was like <laughs> <laughs> That's why they were going around the country asking all these different landowners or uh, contacts they had, and right. um, I had a friend that knew one of the guys on the research pan- or research team, and he got in touch with me, and I was like, "Oh yeah, look at my farm. Oh yeah, you're you're a winner." I was like, yeah. "Well, I could have told you that." <laughs> so uh, it, it goes like I think it's red is the worst, and it goes like from you know to yellows, oranges, whatever, all the way to green, and blue is like the best. And you were probably a, a magenta, yeah, <laughs> on almost that like scale. A, a, a fire engine red. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, I was poor soil. Uh, big shocker. So anyway, they, they pulled the forage from from my area um, and then pulled soil samples to confirm um, what we already knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they did that. And Matt, you can go back in and yeah. And I think you know as we're as we're diving into that, it's important to understand exactly what the requirements to produce um, healthy deer are throughout throughout the entire year and and we're talking about like crude protein when it comes to um 
you know, mineral content. A lot of like phosphorus and calcium are huge for you know antler development and um, does during late gestation. Those are those are some of the the top things that they monitored through this. And for adult deer, excuse me, adult deer, they're needing about 16% crude protein in their diet and 0.2% phosphorus, 0.2% calcium. That's in a buck to express full antler growth potential. Full. So if they had a little bit less than that, they wouldn't express all that. Okay, so then um, for a doe in late gestation, they need 0.5% calcium and 0.3% phosphorus in their diet um, for them to have all that they need um, in in producing a great fawn or the the biggest set of antlers. So again, that's 16% crude protein, and then the phosphorus and calcium levels differ for the bucks and and does. For a fawn, they need about 19% crude protein in their diet. Okay, so they got all that. And then on a day-to-day basis, they consume about 4.5% of their body weight in vegetation. That's dry, dry weight. So what that equates to is for a 150-pound deer, about 7 pounds of forage each day. And that's dry forage each day. And that's optimal. If that's available, um, that, that that's kind of key. So, you know, if... If you're limited in that kind of vegetation um, where it's accessible, you know, they're not going to be getting as much. So they're not going to be meeting those requirements or expressing their full potential. So that is those numbers, kind of keep those in mind um, because that's what they're testing in these plant species, um, this native browse specifically, um, to understand if no matter where they selected this forage, whether it's in poor soils or really great soils, they wanted to see if that forage would still produce the minimum that those deer would need to express their full potential. That makes sense, Adam? Yep, makes sense. Okay. So what they found was that no matter... You were just asking to make sure I was still awake, aren't you? Well, yeah. (laughs) Give you the little nudge over there. Makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. We've already talked about this for two days straight, so we're on the same page. So what they found was throughout their entire study, and they went from Maine through the Mid-Atlantic, across the Midwest, and really in the southeast. and um, Oklahoma, like in, I think, was the furthest the west furthest? they went. So they went and collected as many of these species on each side as they could. And what they found, no matter what soil type they were in or soil quality that they were in, these native plant species all met those requirements. And they all were within very similar so very similar quality throughout the entire study. So if they were in Tennessee in the fertile soils of Tennessee, and then they went to the mountains of Tennessee, those plant species showed very, very identical nutritional levels even though the soils were not the same. So what does that mean, Adam? That means let's... Oh, don't, don't ask me that question because you're going to get a 30-minute <laughs> ramble out of me. Um, that means very exciting information for guys that are hunting in poor soils. That's And very simple, off the top of my head, that's what that means. is time to get remotivated for you boys that are in poor soil country. Yeah. Um, that's what that means. It, it, that means now that we know that, now let's manage to 
take that to our advantage. Uh, exactly. And we'll cover that in exactly. a second. But, you know, that, that whole – so just to make sure we paint the picture here. Very clearly, That means yes. let's go from the crop ground of Missouri to the Ozark Mountains of rough terrain – and we have these native forages of ragweed, pokeberry, whatever they mm-hmm. are, the the, yeah. the species that they're testing. And even though the nutrient or the the quality of the soil is different, the quality of the plant is almost the same. So basically, they had the the scale, and yet, yes, you're absolutely correct. The scale of of um, soil quality from basically a zero to to twenty is is the range in which that the map in which they indicate and used. It didn't matter if you were in zero or twenty; these plants still produced the same nutritional value as zero and twenty. So, throughout the entire U.S., throughout if you if you are in Alabama and you are wanting to be in Iowa, you don't have to want to be. You can make it there if you're managing for these species. You can provide everything. That a deer needs, whether it's a buck growing antlers, or a doe producing fawns, or a fawn, all these native plants that are in in the pretty much the early successional stages, these plants produce more than what deer require to produce their full potential. How amazing is that? How how honestly, it's a relief because. All that comes free of charge. Mm-hmm. It's if way you do the cheaper, right management. It's way cheaper than planting crops and food plots. Yeah, this, big time. This, now my and the allergies risk, the may risk not is, like it as much. <laughs> yeah, the risk is a lot less too, because yeah. it it is nature's way of protecting the soil to produce these plants. Like, so let's think about these plants that are growing. They yeah. are. That's what God made them for: is to grow Bingo. in this type of soil. So there any are, type of soil. They are. That's what I mean by right. saying that. There's basically any type of soil these plants are going to grow. Yeah, doesn't matter if it's poor soil or healthy soil. Mm-hmm. But they're growing, and they're designed for that purpose to grow in these areas uh, that are disturbed or whatever it is. Right. And they're providing high quality forage. They require less fertilizer, mm-hmm. and they still provide almost the same benefit as the crops. And soybeans and all the other stuff we always talk about and read in the magazines, they're doing the same thing. They just cost less. Well, yeah. I mean, a soybean produces throughout, you know, uh, the growing season, let's say. It meets the requirements that that the deer need, but so do these plants. So why am I going to spend a bunch of money cultivating land, making – and this is another factor that we haven't talked about yet – is the amendments to the soil. Soybeans aren't native plants, so they're a crop species, obviously. But what they found and did more research on were that crops have to have amended soils to be to produce the yields that farmers need and farmers are looking for. And and by amending the soil we mean money. You're gonna take yeah. it's gonna take lime and fertilizer to get them to grow. Correct, correct. Which is money. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't do any of that if we didn't plant those and have the equipment to do it and all the extra charges, this and that, money, whatever spent, these plants would grow if you managed appropriately where those soybeans grow. And they do the same job and provide cover later on in the season in those areas. And now let's go back to the Sala video 
Okay. Sailor Man. video. Recap that, was that a, for That some, was the National people. Geographic video. Uh, roughest piece of property, and I, I encourage you to go look at it. 50 years ago, this was a wasteland until this guy bought it or something like that on YouTube. It's a National Geographic video. Guy had a property covered in cedar trees, basically, and he removed those cedar trees and let native grasses and forbs recolonize the area. Drilled seven wells during that time. They were all dry. After doing this work, two years later, first spring popped up. After that, I think there was 13 springs or 11 springs. I think it was 11. 11, 11 springs. springs showed up, and it was just basically because when the cedars were there, water was running off. Once he or removed, evaporating off or the top evaporating of those cedars. Off the cedar trees. Yeah. Once those were removed, the, the water was then taken in through the root systems of all of these early successional plants, the native grasses and forbs, taken in through the plant and into the soil or infiltrated the soil and filled up these underground aquifers and then came out, once they were filled up, it comes out in the form of a spring. Yeah. So now let's think about that as that's a way that we can now inf- use water to infiltrate and fill up our underground aquifers. But now we have the early secession that Dr. Craig Harper is talking about. So it's kind of those two bonds right there together is removing the cedar trees or whatever or eliminating the amount of trees in your area, letting that sunlight reach the forest floor so we have more of an early secession than a, than a forest. Sure. Sure. What were you going to say there? Nothing. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, it's you, – you have to sit back and kind of ask yourself the question right here, right now. Am I managing for early successional species? In your management plan, in, in your property, are you managing for them? And if not, I hope this information – encourages you to do so and what if you say well i i've got trees you know i've got i'm I'm forested okay change it (laughs) yeah i mean you can cut them down and have an income off of them if the if they're of any age you can get money out of them and then take that money invest it back in the property for Whatever, uh, spraying the sprouts so it's not an old forest It's a, and it turns into a young forest. Now let's spray those sprouts and encourage that early succession. So now we have a food plot, essentially, within the timber, the open canopy timber. Sure. And that's what, for me, this whole, this whole research, and I applaud Dr. Craig Harper and his team for, for going out and, fi- and researching this and finding this out. And getting real answers that can help. And I encourage every person that's listening to our podcast, I believe, I I think I heard that he's going to be with the Mississippi State Deer Lab podcast, and they're going to be talking about this a lot, too. I encourage you to go listen to that. Yeah. And follow along and and pick up Dr. Harper's books, Mm -hmm. um, because Mm -hmm. they are talking about this a lot, too. And he's actually going to be speaking in a module, too, a QDMA module out of uh, Western North Carolina here in the next couple weeks. Too, so yeah i think it was this coming week maybe weekend? yeah get a plane flight book it <laughs> start driving now and you'll yeah. make it so i i just encourage you to to follow along in this whole project because he's a great resource to uh to uh gain your information and knowledge on early succession habitat and overall deer management um to me this whole concept is you know we early on our podcast we talked about the upcoming plans Prairie Hollow property, our home base, and different stuff, and the direction we're heading. And then we had Matt Ross come on, and he was talking about timber. 
and it encouraged us and, and basically it confirmed that we're headed in the right direction with our property. And then we turn around and we hear this from Craig Harper about woodlands basically in savannas. And that's a, that's a lot more open canopy type of forest that has this early secession growing within it. And that's where we've been wanting to go. And so it's nice to know we have our plan. We're, we're driving down the highway headed this way for these goals and everybody research is coming out and confirming that we're going in the right direction. And I think it just it just gives the basically whether it's numerical it it tells us on a numbers game. Yeah. <laughs> Duh. Why wouldn't you do that? That makes it to makes me, perfect sense. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things like okay, my property one, one thing he talks about in the video is how they took this south face of the slope that was pretty rough, and there's no way you could ever grow soybeans there. Mm-hmm. But all they did, they went in and cut trees and treated stumps. And treated stumps. I think that's an important thing to, to mention in, in that respect is why'd they treat the stumps? Because if there were stump sprouts back, then you wouldn't you you would be going right back to an early young forest. And if you remember earlier, we shared that the different stages and and factors of um native brows and everything trees were were the the lowest category so by treating those stumps you really revert to the earliest stages and and early successional habitat and get the forbs the broadleafs and the brambles come back so you start with a really high benefit and kind of from there use fire to manage those woodlands and stuff so that's why adams talked about treating those stumps not just not just cutting and moving along you know, we want to we want to treat those stumps, follow the follow it up with um, forbs and fire, and those brambles come in. You get the bang for the buck. Okay, go ahead. Well, why don't you just go ahead and finish that too? No. Uh-uh. So anyway, the south facing slope, oh, I don't remember. It was like fifty acres. Never going to be a fifty acre soybean field because the soil was poor and it was rocky. But they could just cut the trees, treat the stumps, and and increase the amount of early succession and have 50 acres that's just as beneficial as a 50-acre soybean field, but it's on a slope. And that's what, to me, that's like, okay, now I know how to... This is something a lot of you guys that are in this rougher country or timber country can go, okay, this is a way that I, I have 200 acres and only five acres of open ground or flat enough ground to plant a food plot. This is a way I can really do some work and greatly improve the habitat on my property. And from a hunting standpoint on that, you might say, okay, well, if it's like a soybean field and if it's on a slope, I can't really hunt it that effectively. We have to remember that's a south-facing slope and and early successional stuff. That's going to be great thermal cover, and those deer are going to utilize that as a bedding area come fall. The, The forage... Is really a growing season forage in that area that that you're getting this benefit from. So, kind of food plot summertime, great bedding, ideal bedding uh, in the fall, and you got a great thermal cover from the south facing slope, and you're going to work up into the rest of your property from there. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't it doesn't pigeonhole you, or you know, it's not a well, I can't hunt over it, and you know, say it's like a food plot. It's not. It's now a bedding area come fall time. And don't base your, please don't base your management based on whether or not you can hunt it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of those things where you can greatly improve the habitat on your place. And not not only, let's just say you have a closed canopy mature, uh, mature timber stand, and 
you're like, okay, I want to, I, I want to go in this uh, end of this project and convert it to early succession woodland or oak savanna. If your trees have any value, you're going to make money from those. You're going to open up that canopy. You're going to treat those stumps, and then you're going to have this early succession woodland. Not only is that beneficial to deer, that's going to be beneficial. It's going to be pole, uh, great. Great cover and bugging areas for, sure. for turkey poults. Fawning. It's be great for fawning. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's going to be great for rabbits. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great for quail. Along the edges, absolutely. And so that's just, uh, I think in part of that video he talks about managing for woodpeckers or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. And, you know, if, if that's your goals, and shoot, yeah, stick with your, your closed canopy forest or your plan. But if you're if you're trying to manage a multi-species this might be a way to greatly improve your habitat on your farm yeah or, or deer that i mean excuse me or species that just utilize the early successional um, habitat types and you would be amazed if, if you really start branching out beyond just um, a game species what uses it and even within game species again we just we just talked about turkeys benefiting from this area we talked about quail benefiting from this area rabbits songbirds it's amazing what really keys into this habitat type and and this woodland habitat is what's native to those arc mountains where i'm at or where we're at where mm-hmm. i grew up or you moved yep. to is kind of this open canopy lots of early succession and legume legumes and uh and that's why we had so many quail back when there wasn't that sure. many deer because we'd shot them all. But this is a fantastic ecosystem that's beneficial to lots and lots of species. It's it's basically right now suppressed by the the forestry, old forestry techniques and lack of market right now that basically was here years and years ago so now lack we've got of market and lack of fire the Smokey yes. the bear campaign kind of put a a damper on prescribed fire and so many people aren't burning as much uh, they're not burning as much anymore um but i think we're coming ar- i think we're coming around to where people are starting to understand that mm-hmm. prescribed fire is a good thing if managed correctly and used yeah. as a tool um one other thing about this woodland habitat when you think about ticks Yep. What is one of the ticks biggest? If we're managing for ticks, what are we going to have? <laughs> Let's just say we're managing to increase the tick populations. I don't think anyone's ever thought of that. I don't think so. Maybe this is groundbreaking. Maybe I found oh, my calling. I'm a tick manager. Well, I won't be leaf- on your property. <laughs> <laughs> leaf litter is leaf a huge litter, yeah. housing agent for ticks. And by eliminating all that leaf litter you're and over using time the prescribed fire and using yeah. prescribed fire you're going to lower tick populations and if you have the early succession um, and there's not as many trees so there's not as much leaf litter over time you're going to lower tick populations just by going to this woodland habitat oak savanna habitat so and and one thing we haven't really talked about and and as the study and everything was was going on or or when he was sharing his findings it kind of hit me like okay well how how does this happen then um you know why does this make sense and i guess what i'm leading into is okay if these both no matter what soil basically these native plants are producing this quality of forage what's the purpose of having or what what what's the purpose of of having like very 
crummy soil and really, really good soil. You know, like what what does it really matter? What's the difference? Like, do the plants react to crummy soil versus good soil? And then what he shared was basically how native plants allocate or use the nutrients from the soil in specifically low soil conditions. And so if you have if you have mountain mountainous ground and you're managing for these native plants and then you're comparing these same plants or bushes as a whole in a really really fertile area what you would find is that the plants even though they're the same nutritional quality that the plant sizes might be a little bit different they might not grow as big or they might not grow as bushy or as tall this and that so to me if you're in poor soil areas, all that means is that to, to feed the deer that they're uh, seven pounds of dry food a day, vegetation a day, then you just need to have more native forage, early successional habitat. You just do more of it to, to basically supply or, or have a larger carrying capacity and give deer what they need. So the plants, are again, are still the same nutrition as they were in poor soil versus good soil but they might not grow or produce as much tonnage there we go they might not produce as much tonnage they may, they may only be four foot tall versus six foot tall or sure. three foot tall versus but they're still providing high quality forest high quality we just gotta let's just devote 10 more acres to it and you gotta balance it out mm-hmm. for me now let's let's tie that back in you know on a family farm we talked about um converting it and and kind of this cattle wildlife co-mingling um habitat and we've got closed canopy forests but we're converting them back to woodlands we have an opportunity of course you have to manage them correctly but by doing this we also provide more forage for the cattle now they they may only go through that woodland one week during the whole and we're talking about two acre paddocks where we just rotate them and they get they get two acres one day and another two acres the next. That's more forage for the cattle. So if you're a, a guy who's looking for another opportunity to convince your dad to go to this program because he's a cattle guy and you're a wildlife guy, maybe it's time to start talking about this, Here's too. Here's your sign. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else on that? I know, I know we got a lot to cover, so I'm trying to keep We do, us- we do. Um, yeah. I just, I just, again, we, we kind of go back and we, and we share you know, the the change in, in what has to or should occur, I guess I should say. And it starts with our mindset of what we're used to. And we talked about this, Adam, yesterday, just, just you and I, um, of, of how, okay, if I've got a property that's predominantly timber, I, I now with this information know that something has to change. And we can't be stuck in our ways to think that, you know, my closed canopy forest is going to be able to produce or be just as good as, as other areas that you desire to be hunting across the Midwest or, you know, so on and so forth. So we've got to go back and, and, and change our mindset that, okay, change has to be done. I'm not going to have the same trees, the density, this and that. My property is going to completely change, but I'm managing it for wildlife, and that's that's the key. That's the goal. Let's make it a woodland. Let's cut some trees. Let's change this place up, let me, and I will reach my goals. Let me break this down for you. Break it down now. So, for me, 
what I know, what it, what I am used to in the Ozark Mountains, the closed canopy forest. I I am used to leaf litter on the ground, very few very few forbs and other uh, trees, anything really growing on the forest floor. I'm not used to a whole lot of stuff growing on the basically forest like floor. a kind of a four foot, five foot. I'm not level. used to stuff growing on the height, the, the level of a deer, uh, the level where a deer makes its living. Let's break it down even more. How far can you typically see in timber that you're that you're really used depends. To? So let's talk about a place that's been uh, clear cut years ago, or sure. it got high graded. There's a lot of stems per acre. They may only be six six inches in diameter at at, at uh, DBH, but you can't see that far because there's so many stems. Sure. There's still not a lot growing underneath. Then we've got other places on the farm where we've had cows, and you can see 150 yards through the timber. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what I'm used to. And I know there's a lot of guys out there, they're also used to it. Mm-hmm. And we hate change. Everybody, uh, most people hate it's change. It's hard to get used to it. But for me, I'm like, I've found myself for a lot of time, for almost every season. I mean, last year I was fortunate enough to shoot sticker eight at the family farm. That was awesome. But we did a lot of work in that area. We changed and, that area. We changed that area. Dramatically. Um, if you found yourself sitting in the stand going, man, and and I know, I and I, I won't have to call anybody out, but I know there's been guys, because they always call me, and you think about the people, last year Mark Dury goes on a rampage and kills all these mm-hmm. booners, and guys are like, I'm so sick, I had to unfollow him because he was killing all these giants, and all I'm seeing are forking horse. If you're in that situation, but you hate change, it's time to get over it. It's time to just move on and say, okay, Put I'm ready you. for some change. Yep. And for me, I'm ready for some change. Now, I'm never. I, I'm at a situation in my life now where I have the time to go and spend at the farm and, and help make that change. In mm-hmm. the past, I haven't. But I'm ready for change. I'm ready to stand up, grab a chainsaw, fill that baby full of some gas, and start dropping some trees. Hopefully, I'm ready to do that. Hopefully oil, too. And oil, yeah. <laughs> I just That's just a given. <laughs> yeah. I, I am, I'm ready to make that change. And I think if you're sitting there in last year's season, you were like, boy, I, it would sure be nice if we had more hit listers. It's time to take this information and go put it to good use and change your property and say, okay, I'm not in Iowa but I'm going to make it as close to I'm Iowa. I'm darn here. sure going to try. Uh, yeah, and you can. With and there's this a couple, there's a couple yes. examples that Dr. Craig Harper uses yeah. that's very encouraging. Um, and but just the whole mindset of changing from closed canopy to a woodland, and knowing how to manage it. It's not as simple as saying, "Okay, I'm cutting trees. I drop trees. It's now a woodland." It's not that simple. It's not as simple as that. It's right. still pretty doggone simple. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's probably more simple than going, okay, I want to create a food plot in the middle of this hardwood ridge. I've got to go find a guy that's going to remove the stumps. I've got to go flag it out. Then I'm going to have to come back in, pull soil sample. I'm going to have to lime it, lime it, fertilize it. Uh, it may take a ton also. And then I'm going to have to figure out, okay, I need to plant something on here because um, I need to get something planted. I'm going to be fighting weeds. This this whole concept of changing from closed canopy to a woodland or a savanna um, is a lot easier than that, and it takes a lot less money. So walk walk it step by step. If if they had an area in mind, a slope or something like that, that's like okay, these guys are getting me going. I can hear the chainsaw just kind of cranking up in the background. Yeah. What are the steps that they need to take to be able to convert, make that transition from a closed canopy forest to this woodland early successional habitat we've got forage and cover underneath the, the first tree. off I'm gonna I'm gonna assess my timber and say is there any value to this 
And if I don't know, I'm going to I'm going to consult with a forester to say, is there any value to this? And if he says yes, then he probably knows a logger. You're going to get a logger to come in there, take the trees that have value, and and let that forester know ahead of time that this is for wildlife. Yes, make this that is, clear. We want to make this a wildlife woodland. Hire a wildlife biologist. And honestly, go in, if in if, conjunction if you with go that in, forester, if you tell that forester, I want to make this a woodland, and that means that. The guy that cutting trees can get a little more aggressive than what mm-hmm. they're probably used to. And so we've got a logger. He came in. He removed some trees, made me some income. Now I'm going to go back in and look around and, and say, okay, I need to drop a few more trees. Probably some trees that aren't much value and were no value to the logger. They're, they're little dogwoods or they're little sassafras groves or, or little hickories that are baseball bat size. I'm going to go ahead and go cut those down and treat the stump. Right. Or I'm going to hack and squirt. But overall, I'm going to get some herbicide into that tree so it's no longer living, growing and living. Yep. Um, I was trying to find a word that wasn't as... They're, they're dead. Okay, they're <laughs> dead. How about that? We'll make just, them dead. <laughs> well, you just need to make them die. And yeah. So those trees are now dead. So now you have this scattered... There's a few trees, probably an oak that's a mass-producing tree, that's scattered around in this area. Now we need to be ready for what comes back. Yes. And what comes back it could be a lot of different stuff. If you're in an area that's got a lot of privet or it's got a lot of bush honeysuckle, and uh, you better don't, be ready. Don't select an area that has a lot of invasive species already growing because likely... Well, maybe they're maybe they're the man's man and they're like, oh, I can, I can tackle Unless they that. want to tackle it. Yeah. Because those species will come back and you will be back again. You're going to have to come back with herbicide. You're going to have to come back with herbicide yeah. anyway. So now we've got herbicide ready, and it all depends on the species, what you have going on. Another reason why you should get Dr. Craig Harper's book is because he has a lot of information in the back for herbicides and what those can kill for these goals of of woodland uh, restoration. So now you need to go back and treat these stumps that have came up from the stumps of the trees that got removed. We're now taking it from a young forest that was a regeneration young forest. Now we're going to kill those stumps and saplings. And stimulate those early secession forbs. Um, and then, once we do that, we're, we're going to try and find a time to send a fire through there. And a prescribed fire through there, uh, you probably don't want to send a head fire through with all the amount of trees that are going to be, treetops that are going to be down. Just get a good back and fire, send it through, clean it up, help stimulate those forbs even more. And once you do that, you are off to the races. You're way and then but even from that point on even from that point on and, and in comparison to a food plot you're not going back spraying multiple times throughout the year and planting multiple times throughout the year you are burning using prescribed fire every three to five years monitoring keeping seeing, keeping keep, an eye on the early uh, young forest that may be making sure back. nothing else bad is creeping in if you do slide in there spot treat it move on done and that's it a little bit of prescribed fire over the years and you are uh, you, you've done a lot of work for the wildlife in that in that one little stretch. Plus, you probably put a little bit of money in your pocket, for sure. So, a huge difference between that concept and going to plant. Okay, I'm going to create a five acre food plot in the middle of middle of the woods. Yeah, I, uh, I think your wife would most likely prefer you making a woodland in Savannah versus. A and food I'm gonna plot. I'll, I'll cite my source once I say it, but. The two, the difference between the woodland and and hopefully you have trees of value, sure, and then you have an area where you're going to try and put in a food plot. It's the difference between signing the back of the check versus signing the front of the check. Yep, 
Gabe Brown, uh, farmer out in North Dakota, he uses that phrase a lot. Love that phrase. Yeah. Sign the back of the check, knock the front. And basically that logger is going to be giving you cash or giving you money to pay for uh, your management activities because of the value of the trees that were on that area. And let's say if you do, if you have a place that is that was logged 15 years ago and you're like, it's pretty crummy, it'd be a great location for this stuff that these guys are talking about. Go in there and treat them. It's still not going to cost a lot. No. Get you a hatchet. Get if, you a bottle of uh If there's no value and you don't have that woodland canopy over there, so what? Treat it up. Yeah. Treat those treat those trees and, and, and the stumps and this and that. Work it. You can, you can have this benefit on your land no matter where your land is at. That's the prize. That's like the secret sauce that everyone's like looking for and yearning for in their in their habitat management plan. Um, you can do it on your property. I don't care if you're in Florida or Kentucky, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania. You can do it. Did or even Virginia. Virginia. No. <laughs> Dude, he cracks so many jokes on Virginia. And I just, I encourage him all the time That's to go name. to look at Virginia whitetails and just, his draw is going to drop at the at the size of these yeah, we, deer. It's we a got them in Missouri, too. Yeah, um, well... You know what? Virginia's got them, too. So, the Virginia Creeper. <laughs> yeah, that's my name. Don't wear it out. <laughs> oh, Let's man. talk about the example that he gave. Yeah. The, and he gave several, talked about several sure. different properties. But one in particular was... Uh, the one from Virginia or, you know... Uh, was he, that where it was? The plantation. Wherever that was. Yeah. It was a quail plantation. And uh, the Virginia. guy probably moved out there from Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. So he's my homeboy yeah. from yeah. Virginia. Anyway, he had a. It was a plantation that was devoted to quail, and they decided to change things up and and went in and sprayed out native grasses um, because there was basically an overabundance yep. of native grasses, and they convert and basically try to stimulate these forbs and. By doing this, there was a lot more forbs um, growing instead of native grasses. So now we and had... They, they did a lot of forestry work across there, A lot there of too. forestry work going yeah. back to the woodlands. But they were already kind of... The pines, kind of doing that type yeah. stuff. So they got more intensive in that um, management of the, the forest and, and um, pine plantations. And the result was incredible. I, for sure. One yeah. thing that... He showed pictures, mm-hmm. and there's lots of... One twenty-ish, three and a half-year-olds um, that were on their wall um, that they had harvested over the years in during the time when they were managing for quail, and we didn't really talk a lot about the quail population. So I'm assuming there was quail, and I'm sure there's still quail there today. No, no doubt. Um, but they were killing some nice Virginia deer. <laughs> <laughs> had to throw in that jab at you. Um, they were killing some nice, some nice three and a half-year-old deer. Um, but they had bigger goals. They took it to the next level. They wanted to step up and say, "We want Boone and Class, not Boone Bo- and Class, Boone and Crockett." I was Matt had. You're that. not familiar with that in Missouri. It's okay. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Look at the record books. Boone and Crockett class deer. I, I Matt distracted me because I was really getting my hands into the motions here. But um, they they wanted to kill Boone and Crockett class deer. And they knew they weren't going to get there through managing for quail, so they decided and, to step it up. They had food plots too, and they knew they weren't going to get there just by managing the food, food plots. plots for deer. 
So they, so they, they converted it, it and got to early secession with Forbes. And, oh, my goodness, the pictures that he shared of the bucks that were coming from that property. Now, keep in mind, very few food plots, mostly early secession, woodland habitat. Correct. And even some savannas. And now they have, I think they killed a 160. A one, uh, no, they, kill, they killed one that netted 173. Yeah. They killed one that grossed 178. They killed another one that was a Boone it's and Crockett. Or, too. It was unbelievable. At that point, it doesn't really matter. Now, they, <laughs> they were the great. Point, the point has been made. Great deer. That, yeah. that converting from the native grasses and the kind of a timber to this early succession Forbes throughout the property throughout the property was a game changer yeah absolutely and managing that even though let's just say it's 1200 acres i don't remember it's a plantation it's a pretty large chunk but um, managing that instead of let's just say it's it's 200 acres of these early succession forbs it's just a couple of it's a fire every other year every three years versus a food plot where you have to plant it spray it fertilize it all that stuff yeah it's a whole lot um cheaper to manage the early succession. Exactly. Now, don't get us wrong. We talk about food plots a lot because yeah. we think food plots are a great um, hunting tool. And, and we plant them. Sure. I love planting food plots. Have I'm going to plant them from, from yeah. now until... Still, still going to. They, they do a great job of concentrating But deer. I'm not going to focus all my time on them. No. No, no, no. It's definitely not. And 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 I think that they're, that basically this is a incredible opportunity for people to really just take the information and run with it and see exactly what it is that their property can do and we know what it can do through this research and what it can produce nutrition wise for deer and other species but i i I would love to hear the success stories and people commenting back leaving reviews about this one for the fact that like this is what they've been waiting for this is this is the point where it's like kind of like the rubber meets the road I want to change. I want to do something, but this is what I'm going to do. Here, It'd be incredible. Here's the glass half empty line now. This is for you guys, like myself in Timber Country. We don't have an excuse anymore. No, it's we know now that we can do what they're get doing. Get off the and, pot. <laughs> yeah, get off the pot. It's time to go to work. Yeah, it absolutely is. And and honestly, that's why we kind of started the podcast and and Mr. Harper, Dr. Craig Harper shared about the land use and the differences be- in, in in the country. You know, the the Boone and Crockett list is is not correlated with just the healthy soils and the crop ground, but rather the fact that the land use is primarily timber and we can change that and and make it more beneficial for wildlife by by promoting these early successional um he seemed like he was species. A, t- a touch let's change that map. tired of of the here's the map of where deer are and this is the soil this is the product of healthy soils equal bigger deer yeah seemed like he was tired of that comparison mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's what i love because i've always been the guy that looks at that map and gets a little like snarl on my nose like Ugh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what? You have better soil than me. I don't care. Yeah. And now it's very much uh, debunked that. Prove and that wrong. I think that you bring up a great point right there, Adam, and, and the fact of, well, you guys have talked about soil health before. Yes, absolutely. And we're going to actually talk about it next week, too, in a podcast. We're still very mindful of soil health 
and specifically in certain areas in which we manage. And we'll, we're going to cover all this next week. But just because this research comes out doesn't mean that we're not considering it in our, in now, our property. When we're talking soil health, we're not talking the amount of N, P, and K in there. Of course, the micronutrients is sure. important. But we're also really talking soil infrastructure. We're yeah. talking about the amount of uh, living organisms within that soil. We're not talking about the amount of lime we have to put on it and fertilizer to improve yeah. the soil health. We're talking about the whole soil infrastructure and, and the amount of living organisms within that soil. So, kind of a big difference between when we're talking about poor soils and yeah. uh, and healthy soils in this podcast versus other ones when we've been preaching soil health. Next week is going to be a great follow-up to this oh, research. Hopefully. Something may change, but that's <laughs> yeah. the plan so yeah. far. <laughs> the, plan is, the plan is to go in that direction, follow this up, and know that, okay, if you're, if you're in poor soils... You can still manage, and if you're and if you're still in those poor soils, you can manage your soil, especially in the food plot areas, um, to improve it. You can make these um, lasting effects to improve the quality of the soil to produce more tonnage, like we talked about earlier. And one one more example, we'll make it really quick, um, that was shared, and uh, and this was a, a on the indicator map, the soil indicator map, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, was an absolute zero. It was the worst place that they had sampled. And through, through basically on the base, the, the military had uh, changed their, their management in these areas and promoted native um, forage and forbs and such. And what they saw was incredible. They were, it was probably like 110 inch deer or so prior to all this. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then they showed some trail camera pictures of multiple deer, not just one, multiple, that um, really um, caught your attention <laughs> real quickly. Um, that were utilized in this area and that had just grown and put on amazing antlers in the worst soil you could possibly have because of the habitat had changed and they're managing for these species. No excuses anymore. No? Well, unless your dad doesn't want to see trees fall. (laughs) That's a pretty good excuse. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Uh, Don't go behind his back. (laughs) But strongly convince him to... Um, listen to the podcast and do some research because it's there. It is It is there. Yeah. Anything else? As we talked, logging crew moved on this past week on the Prairie Hollow property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Woo! Yeah. That's, that, that was kind of a, okay, and now it is happening. Like, it got yeah. to a point where we're kind of like sitting around. Of course, he was on another project and had a few breakdowns and kept raining. And it's kind of like, I don't know if he's ever going to make is he, it. Is he coming? And so, yes, he is there. He's already done a couple of days cutting. Mm-hmm. We're so pumped up. We went down there and toured it yesterday and looked it over. And, oh, there's a lot of sunlight hitting the forest floor. So that's going to be a lot of our topics and a lot of discussions um, for the next several months. Just because that is when we talk about the property. It's mostly timber, and so now we're managing the timber. So it's kind of like a practice what you preach. You hear us talk about this all the time. Well, just so you know, <laughs> yeah, the logger's in right now yeah. doing this on our own property that, that, that we're managing. So and we already have a couple bottles of herbicide. Yep. So. We're ready to rock and roll. Follow it up. Get those hickories, dogwoods out there and treat some stumps, and that's going to be game changer. Mm-hmm. I think that wraps up this week. I awesome. hope I hope that this was just awesome informational and really kinda, encouraging had, for people. We've had guests on the last two weeks, so it's kind of yeah. 
you know, two weeks. I had to we, stare at you for an hour we, now. We wanted to uh, kind of just start talking. Well, it was better than sharing that microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. Oh, we're going to get that fixed soon. I'm, yeah. But we're two, we're busy guys, so it's not always the, it's, the podcast kind of gets set gear. to the back burner a little yeah, bit. a little so bit. So then we're reminded every time we have a guest, someone's like, oh, man, we're sharing a mic this week. Too. <laughs> that gum- All right, next time. Next time we got, we're going to fix this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but it's always fun. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. So. so I think uh, it was a great week. We are so pumped up. We're getting so much closer to deer season. It's still hot. Oh, it's my gosh, it's hot. hot. We had a little bit of rain today. Um, it is, it's getting close, guys and gals, and I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. I hope you guys can share it with your hunting buddies. Leave us a review, please. Um, crank up those chainsaws. Crank Grab up the those herbicide. chainsaws. Think about management. Just a video we posted today. Think about management. For the generations to come, not just the benefits that you're going to see, but the benefits that your grandchildren are going to see and your great-grandchildren are going to see. And hopefully the benefits you do now is going to lead to more wildlife. Here's the thing. We're losing quail. We're losing quail habitat. You know, I grew up hunting quail. And I'm just using Here's quail another as an hour. You better just sit, settle back into your seats. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take that exit. Just keep driving. Yeah. Make you, a loop We got around. more talking to do. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? If if I was to just accept the direction of, it, of the way everything's going habitat-wise, my kids would never get to quail hunt. And that's what got me hooked on the outdoors. Yeah. So... Let's let's change it. Let's let's turn this ship around and start driving back to the good old days. Let's fire up some chainsaws and start doing some work. And it may it's going to take years before I see quail again. But doggone it, Lord willing, I'm going to keep doing it. So later on in my life, there's going to be a lot of quail, no and doubt. hopefully that motivates you to start doing the same thing. And it's the same thing for hunters too. We're 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 losing hunters. Um, population of hunters is going down. So getting more people that you know outdoors to manage this resource and and just encourage more people to enjoy the outdoors is very, very important. And that's why, again, why we kind of pushed Cutie May a little earlier because that's exactly what they're doing. That's the direction that they're going. And us as outdoorsmen and those who respect the natural resources, that's what we need to do is get more hunters out there because they're the so ones making If you're a hunter and you have... You the have difference. a farm that you can that you can hunt, and you're going to take your kids. Or you don't have kids to take. It's July now. It's almost August. This may air. Uh, you'll probably be listening to this in August unless you listen to it as soon as it releases. But there's only a few months. You have a few months. You can start talking to people in your church, people in school, or whoever, and you can find a kid that's never been hunting and that doesn't have anybody that's ever going to take them, and you can start m- – Taking them out, shooting some guns, shooting some bows, getting them ready for youth season or during youth season or during regular hunting season, and you can take them out this fall and introduce them to the outdoors. And to me, that's oh, that's exciting. That's something we're going to work on doing, trying to get some more people, take some more people. Um, <laughs> I guess in past years, though, here's the problem. I didn't really, I didn't really want to take myself to the farm, let alone somebody else. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so as soon as the farm gets really improved, and we start seeing a lot more deer, and we're we're kind of at the the foothills, if you but, will. And of, it's not of, even deer; it's squirrel, it's squirrels, rabbit. rabbits, yeah, duck, waterfowl, yeah. Have, um, have fun. Just and and see in fact, things. deer is a little bit slow for a lot of kids, so yeah. maybe it's fall turkeys too. That's a great time. So teach yeah, them to inc- sit still. Get out and take somebody. Take somebody new this year. 
Oh, yeah, I think and, they're uh, done. T- I think they're yeah. tired of listening to us. Well, I, what what I'm saying is, we've been two <laughs> weeks with guests, so yeah. this is a week that we get to vent soak now. it in, folks. Soak yeah. it in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it was a great week. We'll catch you guys next week. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you want to see more, check us out at landlegacy.tv or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Take pride in knowing that God has called us in Genesis 2-4 to work and take care of the land. So keeping that in mind, remember to do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God.